and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast, Episode 4. This is Keith. And Tommy. How is everybody doing? Boy, those were two awesome interviews, I have to say. Uh, I was talking to Mike afterwards, and he told us something <laughs> that I never knew. He, uh, If I wore a mask... <laughs> oh, yeah, Jesus... <laughs> He lifted those lyrics from a Christina Aguilera song. That was used in Mulan, yeah, the, I, the Disney movie. Because we used to work at a movie theater, and, uh, you, you know, they would have, like, the Muzak on when you're, like, cleaning the theater. And he said he took the lyrics from a Christina Aguilera song and turned it into a hardcore song and, like, had people screaming, so Christina Aguilera. Mask, yeah, I could, could fool the world. Fool the world. <laughs> Came directly from Christina Aguilera. That's and- incredible. That is incredible. That's, what a revelation. That's something uh, we missed in the interview uh, that we wanted to, to share with you. I wonder what went down in Iowa. Yeah, dude. That was weird. Yeah. I felt so funny because like... It was I, so sudden. Because Mike is so open and forthright, but it, when he said pass, I was like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> that it was, was, it it was so was... succinct. It was like, did you know when it was over? Iowa. What happened? Pass. Uh, yeah. Something went down. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was, but I, even afterwards, I, mics were off, and we brought it up again, and he still was like, no. <laughs> I, just, it, it just, I just, just wanted to know for myself. Yeah. But there I, was a lot of good information in there, you know, stuff that I didn't know before. Like, you know, these are people we've known for a long time, and it's part some of— Some of these people, 20 years plus. Like yeah, so to just—I don't know. This is questions I've always wanted to ask them. I didn't know, like— how this day forward broke up or like how Mike felt about it. You I know? still kind of don't know how yeah. this day forward broke up. <laughs> yeah. I forget already. We've been, we've been on a marathon recording session. Well, we're here in Philadelphia uh, in center city and a nice giant, beautiful hotel room next to a Reading terminal. And we're doing this thing. Yeah. This thing is huge. It's like the Motley Crue suite. Yeah. Like you could do like this. You could do some damage in here. For if sure. I still partied hard, I would, I would be doing that in here. We were saying if this was ten years ago, this would be this room would be a problem right now. First it, of all, there would not be two of us in here. Yeah, yeah, it would just be, <laughs> there would be me. A dozen other people. I'd be extending uh, the stay because I couldn't get up. There would be no podcast happening. It would just it would just be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a situation like that. It was after one of the this is hardcores. I just got really tore up and. You know, I had, like, this whole existential crisis the next morning, like, getting up to get back on the bus to go to New York. And, oh, I don't miss those days. No, I. that's actually one of the things I kind of, like, when I stopped really partying hard and, like, really, like, not waking up the next day without, like, no headache, no stomach ache, no achy, no, I used to, I had, I had a, good chunk of time where i i would hide my phone from myself because <laughs> as soon as i knew i had a certain amount of drinks i would talk shit to people on youtube comments i would say shit i would never ever say to someone's face yes. or i would post something on facebook and then go the next <clears throat> day fuck what did, I do? <laughs> what did i do or like i remember a couple times this is what really solidified it more for me I woke up in a cold sweat and I had to go over and grab my phone and legitimately look at it because in the dream I had, I had called someone 
I was currently working for at a law firm and told them off. Oh, like, my God. This is what I really think. It was like complete. Just think of like the most slobbery, drunken, like awful things you could say. It was that dream was everything and more. And I woke up to it feeling so real. And the worst part was is when I first woke up, I couldn't immediately find my phone because – of course, I had been drinking, so I had put it somewhere dumb. <laughs> like, it was, like, next to my toothbrush or some shit like that. And uh, I, I literally went, like, oh, my God. Did I really make that phone call? I just ruined her career chances. I'm never getting back into the law school. Like, everything just, like, flashed before my eyes. And I was like, this could have all been completely avoided had I not had th- – like, after I knew I had too much, had three more. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, Pat – that interview with Pat too. That was that was good. The, I had no idea Chris Penny drummed on this. Never happened. That was that was shocking. I remember being at that Palanca show. I don't remember him there. I remember. Well, I remember being at that Palanca show, and the buzz was like, "Dude, the fucking Dillinger drummer's here." Really? Yes, I remember being there for that, and I also remember. I don't remember if if it was Palanca. It was probably Bobby put that show together, right? I would guess so. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Bobby. I don't think they really worked with anybody else. But it had to be him or Pat. Yeah. And um, I remember being at that show and it was, you could still YouTube it. Uh, if you just do All Else Failed Palanca. That's like, on YouTube? It's on YouTube for sure. Really? I, did, I literally just showed it to Pat like afterwards because I was having a conversation with a girl I work with and I was showing her the pictures from... Uh, when we saw All Else Failed at Century. Yes. And she she was like, oh my God, that seems scary. And I was like, you want to see scary? Hold on a second. And I showed her like the first 30 seconds of them at Palanca. Uh, Luke gets on top of the monitor and does a backflip directly into the crowd. Oh my no God. No warning. No like, oh, I'm going to jump. Like, hey, we're starting. Like, he's just like, he starts doing the line from Rambo. It's over, Johnny. It might be over, Johnny. It's over, Johnny. And he just fucking flips. It's the, it is the funniest thing in the world, but at the same time, I still think back to those moments when we were in shows going like, this just got scary. <laughs> My only memory from that show is Steve, the bass player. I think at the end, he, he took his bass by the body and like slapped it, like fretboard down, just slapped it right down on the ground and like broke it. And, you know, I think, I think they've done that more than once. He is- we should ask him how much he's spent on basses over the years. Let's not forget also, he is one of the best. I've never seen, in front of you personally playing, he's one of the best play, bass players I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he he has he a is. band, Grave Blankets, and I think it's just like him and a drummer, but he like somehow makes a whole band out of like all these pedals and stuff. It's it's cool. He is so, he's such a phenomenal player. He's really, really good. It's, it's fun to just watch him play. Yeah, like, that's why I mentioned to Pat, you know, during the interview, like when we were starting up Crash of 64, I was like... Uh, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm good enough. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I'll be able to keep up. But no, I think a nice thing about talking about this stuff, especially with the people that we're talking about, like or people that we're talking with, you, you get the real sense that everything they've done and everything that's kind of led up to this point is something that they really they hold in such high regard, and they. Like, you could hear it in Pat's voice when he was talking about the lineup changes, and he kept going back to, but the band is me and Steve and Luke. And it's like that core group of people, like, it's 
25 years is a long time to do something. They're they're approaching their 25th anniversary on July. That's 4th. crazy. I I that I was like, boy, time flies. I don't think I've done anything for 25 years. No, oh, I've been a I'm we've breathing. been alive. I've been yeah, I've I breathed for 25 years. We didn't years. die. So I've that's eaten food. I've come but, close, but we didn't die. I, but I've never had an individual pers- or or even a Christ a group pursuit that has lasted that long. Uh, it, it's just it's staggering and it really just is a testament to like how much those guys really do they love what they do like they they and it's it's funny to watch um, especially if you see All Else Failed live which if you have not ever seen them live please do yourself a favor go watch them anywhere uh, if you can get to a Philly show definitely witness that because it's like unlike anything I've ever seen but one of the probably the best active live band i think i've i would say that i think it's so funny is to see luke in between songs laughing and joking and smiling with people and then you know burst or a start and he just he'll grab someone by the collar and scream in their face just (laughs) charge through the crowd like you'll kick everybody in the front row yeah oh my god it's a real rush it really is not i think it's still one of the uh when I talk to people that don't know hardcore about hardcore, I remember actually making a post on Instagram. This was not that long ago, it was, and it was a video from This Is Hardcore, and it was um, Harvest. And Harvest started playing like you know the the, the big riff from Epicure. Yes. Like, and it was just like, you see people just start murdering each other. Yes. And I I posted it and. Uh, I had three or four people that I'm very close with at work. And keep in mind, I'm a middle school teacher. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they were like, oh, my God, is everything okay? Like, is that a like, – are you in a riot? What's happening? So I literally had to go back and edit my post to be like, look, please understand that, like, what's happening at shows like this is – Oh, so that's why you wrote that that heartfelt yeah, message. like, to be like, yo, this is, this is people, ex- you know, kind of expressing themselves about, like, the music. But, I mean, there is a – you know, there's an element of like tough guy shit to it. Yeah. But there's a real part of it that's like, you know, this is this is what we do. Like this is this is our thing. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And I don't think I would change that for anything. There's a lot of times where people look at it from the outside, especially. I I specifically remember watching. Um, oh God, what set was it? There was uh, maybe Marauder. It was one of the like New York bands, mm-hmm. and it's just. It's amazing to see so many people get so hurt and get immediately back up to run to the front of the stage to go try to grab the mic. Yeah. Um, it's it, Hardcore is one of those things that's so beautiful in that that's the other thing you have to explain to people is like, yes, are you, why are they on the stage? Because they're going to jump off it. <laughs> why are they on the stage? Because they're going to grab the mic. Because like it's – it's audience participation. It's it's yes. it's it's this thing of ours. It's this La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing that we do. And the more people understand about like the the mentality behind it, mm-hmm. the more people are willing to get past the things that stop them from listening. Oh, he's screaming, or it's so heavy. Or How could a- you go from that to seeing like I don't know, like a folk? I don't like I don't know. It's just my sister nothing saw compares. Celine Dion the other week. Yeah, there's no stage diving during Celine Dion. Well, I mean, there's no. Well, <laughs> I guess you could. I don't know if the crowd would be into it I though. Yeah, I don't think. But you know, I guess I guess every everything has its right place. But I'm spoiled by hardcore shows. You know, like being that close to the band and the intensity. Even post rock shows, like 
have their own intensity being that close to the band just the whole experience you know there's just there's just nothing else like it i i actually it was really funny i was watching something on i don't know if it was vice or hbo or something like it was a big media outlet and the guy from agnostic front was on it that uh vinnie stigma Mm -hmm. it's like i was at this is hardcore and i was literally walking out to go get something to eat it's like He's standing there, not by, a, not with a crowd of people around him, not like he's just there, like waving to people, saying hello, shaking hands. Like, bro, it's just it's, it's this the opposite of like rock star. It's like yeah. those guys are like, what they do is unreachable, and and it's this pinnacle of like, look at how awesome I am. And hardcore is such a humble like, you know. Those guys in Agnostic Front have been doing it for 30-plus years, and it's like, the fuck, dude, these guys are just out in a parking lot talking to people. Those are the people out. I get starstruck to. Like, I know Walter from Quicksand lives in uh, Williamsburg. I'll yeah. see him sometimes, and I'll be like, there he is. Or like, <laughs> I've seen, like, Garrett from Texas is the reason around. Like, I see people around, and I'm like, wow, how cool that I live in the city with these people whose music I grew up listening to and, like, they're at the same show and I'm like creep and I'm like there they are yeah there they are I think it's another I, it's really funny um, so like my, I, I was thinking about this not that long ago was uh, we went to go see uh, Circus Survive about a year ago mm-hmm. and it was on my birthday and as you guys can know from like the other podcast Anthony and I have been close since we were younger so when we got there uh, I brought my my two little girls with me and Anthony one of Anthony's son uh, sons was on that tour so i showed up my wife and i and we walked backstage and we we're just sitting there hanging out like eating pizza uh anthony like went to the trouble of like he got my daughter's like gifts and we're like sitting there like hanging out and they got up on stage and they watched the whole performance and uh then we left we had like another concert i guess maybe two or three weeks later that was at like the local public library yeah and it was like you know like a little kid singer like they're gonna do like ring around the rosie and crap like that right and we get there and my daughters were so mad that they weren't allowed on stage <laughs> oh like, why can't we go on stage daddy and I was they like, got the royal tree see they're they're in hardcore now because they're like they're not going to be able to go back they're going to be like that show we went to when we were five we're going to be chasing that forever That's, now. This is legit, legitimately my biggest worry now is that anything that we go to see, I'm like, they expect to eat with the band and be on stage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mike was talking about uh, willing an and EVR fest into existence. Oh my God. Now, on one of those Instagram pages, I think it was the Eastbound from Frankfurt page, Someone posted that that account posted a flyer from one of the very first hardcore shows I ever went to. It was an EVR Revelation Records showcase for CMJ, and it was at this venue called the Bank in the East Village in New York City, which used to be a goth club. And I guess they did hardcore shows sometimes too. So I was like 16. I went up there with Mike Shaw and Pat and this other guy, and you know I had never been to New York City. This is my first trip up there. So that uh, that was like, you know, when, you, when you're like the first times you go there, you get out at Penn Station and you see all the tall buildings and you're like, what, where the fuck am I? Yeah. Like, what like, am I doing? Get like, dropped on a foreign planet. Yeah, and then we got out and like got into a cab and showed the guy the address. We're like, can you take us here? And the show, you know, I, Saves the Day played, Floor Punch, Shy Halud, Converge, 
uh, Game Face. Like, Jeez. this was like one of my first shows, and I remember I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know any of these bands, and I remember Converge playing, and this gigantic dude, like, with a shaved head, just bowled over me. Like, I flew <laughs> through the air, like, onto the ground, and and you know, and I was just like, oh my god. Like, and oh, One King Down played too with oh. uh when they had the new singer. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was like they're like you know that was like my introduction to them with the new singer like that was a big deal to see them like that was a crazy show like and being up there like you know Dillinger was playing a relapse showcase within walking distance same night so we walk over there and like you know they're like oh no it's sold out and like as the door is closing I can see them on stage and you know we you hear like I heard like the third song on Under the Running Board like they were just starting it oh, yeah, like yeah. that as if yeah. in a dream like oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that has the doors closing I'm like no! no it was like my favorite band at the time and like they turned us away and like so we went back to Penn Station and like we were eating Krispy Kreme donuts like late waiting for the train <laughs> to come back and just like you know and the crazy thing is like I go I Google map on Google Maps I looked up that flyer. To where that club was and it's i walk by it every week oh really every sunday i walk by that building and like you know and like my my girlfriend lives in that neighborhood i'm in that neighborhood all the time and i'm like how fucking crazy that 20 like, years removed yeah that like what it was always my dream to live in new york and it, i somehow pulled it off uh i'm there and and i'm just like i you know if you would have told me like 20 years ago like You'd be walking by this building every day. On a weekly basis. Yeah. And now I'm like so familiar with that neighborhood and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like Katz's was like two blocks away. We could have gone and had like (laughs) the the best pastrami sandwich, but you didn't, we didn't know anything. Like we were so young and I, you know, I remember like those were like the days, you know, you were just, there would be a show like two hours away and you're like, there's no maps. There's no, you just have to kind of know how to get there. And you're like, all right. Let's go. I remember going places where they were like, um, where's the venue? We're like, Musick? Yeah. Musick, PA? You ever hear that? And they're like, jeez, I guess. It's like up in the Pocono areas. I'm like, it's called CC's. I remember stopping at the gas stations near there. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, you guys ever hear of CC's? It's in Musick. They're like, oh, yeah. And they'd like give you the directions there. But literally, it was just shot in the dark stuff. Like you would hear about bands playing and you would just go. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna go and try. Yeah, um, you know, I I think back on some of the like those times when you just kind of there was a we I keep bringing it up, but that Delaware hardcore page um, from Instagram, he, Delaware '90s hardcore. Yes, that dude. <laughs> so he posted a show from I think it was it was definitely at the church. I want to say so it was like Hot Water Music, Jets to Brazil. And somebody else, I think 400 years. Mm-hmm. And I remember I tagged Anthony in it and I followed the thread because Anthony liked it like a day or so later. I f- kept looking back at the thread and Sean Agnew had actually responded to that. And I was like, dude, I remember waiting outside forever. And the whole thing was, is like, <laughs> Sean had commented something like, hot water music showed up super late. They still wanted to do like a like their actual like regular like on stage routine, mm-hmm. but they wanted nobody in the room. <laughs> like they wanted to like warm up and do everything like sound check. What <laughs> with nobody in the room, so they just left everybody outside for like two hours. So we're like all sitting outside, like what the hell is going on here? Oh my god! And it was 
I don't remember the exact. It was definitely in, it was in the summertime for yeah. sure. Oh, that's good because I remember. Yeah, you used to have to wait outside forever to get in, and I remember dead of winter waiting to get into like a Saves the Day, Newfound Glory show. Like oh God, yeah. It just, and it was we got in there. It was so hot. The floor you couldn't even dance. The floor was slick. Yeah, with people sweat. Like it was just the 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 room was humid. Not like physically, like it, you were struggling to breathe air. Like I remember being like trying to get above the crowd to crane my neck to be like. In the summer, get... forget about it. Yeah. But I remember, ah, oh man, Jets to Brazil. That is a band I would like to see. I still listen to them. I, I, I used to really listen to Jawbreaker a lot and I just kind of fell off. But Jets to Brazil is a band I would want to see. Do you listen to them? I do. Do you remember we had this conversation about... Uh... For some reason, we were talking about um, the song Chinatown. Oh, yeah. And it was just one of these things that had come up in my brain randomly. Um, That's like the most perfectly dreary song. And, yeah, and was the, I, I forget what it was, but I had, I, I, something brought it up. I put it on like a playlist, and I was listening to it, and I was like, I'm going to text Keith about this. And you were like, that's the weirdest thing in the world. I literally just started re-listening to that record. It was that... Um, Orange, Orange rhyming, rhyming dictionary. dictionary, yeah, and and you're like, I just started re-listening to that. Why? What a weird set of circumstances. And I think that's one of the things that when we started going back and forth and talking on a daily basis, that became one of those like go-to things. Is like it, we constantly have these like like weird things of fate that just kind of just coincide yeah <laughs> and i'll mention it to you or you'll mention it to me and i'm like yeah, the weirdest thing in the world is it just happened to, that just happened to me or i was just thinking about that or i was just talking to that person yeah um and it always seems to circle around these like things that we were always just just passionate about yeah and i mike must be some kind of like center for like coincidences uh, and spirits he, or something shaman or because something yeah like that. that's what i was thinking because he dropped like 10 of us some on mic some off like of coincidences and things he was involved with he must he's just the center of like a universe or something like how about also we finished that podcast and it was at 108 oh god (laughs) yeah we were talking about how the number 108 keeps popping up constantly at ridiculous times and i uploaded the interview to google drive right away to you know to, to preserve the audio file and of course we looked at the looked time. At the time it's it was up, but it was one oh eight, and we grabbed each other. We were like, "No!" Nah. And Mike was literally talking about someone that we had tangentially, like we were like literally like just discussing, uh, just a, like a small part of it. And he was like, "Oh, well, what about and so and so?" And as the words came out of his mouth, the phone dinged, and it was a text from that, that person, person. who it, mentioned that they were playing the fire. Where Mike said he had these, you know... Both colors and bamboo houses fell apart. Oh, God. (laughs) There's just every... You know, it was just a lot of weird coincidences. I I love when we were talking to Pat. I keep thinking back to the fact that... There's so many times when we put so much time and effort and energy and, and faith and everything into one singular thing, and it doesn't work out. Yeah. And that's that's... That was a really hard pill for me to swallow. You know, even with with my band, we had it together. We recorded it. And then, like, right after that, people either got kicked out or quit. And as hard, like, the harder I tried to get my hands around it, the the less control I had. And it just, uh, you know, it, it was like my life, you know, after, like, 
getting clean and straightening out my life. Everything was the band. I was like, we're going to tour. Yeah. This is going to be it. This is going to be, I'm going to be respected. This is going to be awesome. And then when the record came out and like, you know, a couple of people bought it. A couple of people were like, oh, cool. But it was like a big lesson to learn. You you can't look for outside things to like fix what's inside. Oh, yeah. Good va- if you're looking for validation from other things like that, Fuck it. you're going to be so <laughs> you're fucked. fucked. You're so fucked. Because <laughs> yeah. we consistently, like I do it all the time now with like teaching where I think like, oh, I got this shit together. I, I moved from being a writing teacher for like half a decade to becoming a math teacher. And like when I finished with all my certification and all my extra courses I had to take, I got into the classroom being like, I know how to teach. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then realizing like, oh my God, I'm relearning how to do something that I've been doing for a long time. Because just because of that tiny shift in material of like, okay, I'm not teaching, you know, prepositional phrases anymore. And now I'm teaching things like how do you set up ratios and proportions and solve? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just that like you try so hard to get good at something. And just at that moment when you think you have it all together, you get pulled in so many other directions. You're like, no, you're going to do this now. And then when you get there, you're like, all right, now I'm going to get this right. And what yeah. you ultimately figure out, and this is the some of the revelations I've come to in the last like at least two to three years, is that like you're never going to get exactly where you want to be. No. And what we really have in terms of just not to be like existential about this, but like what we have in terms of life is like you have right now. You have this moment, us with our friendship, spending time together, talking about things we love. Yeah. Like you have this moment right now. You can do whatever you want to mitigate for the future and plan and try to avoid this and try to avoid that or try to make sure this turns out positively. But what you ultimately really have is this. You have this moment. And I, so many times, especially when I think about old times, we tend to like glorify it or like deify this moment of like, this was the perfect time. I glorify it <laughs> or I get pissed and I'm like, I should have been involved in more <laughs> shit. Like this should have happened for me. But like, like you said, all we have is now. That's why I'm like, we need, we need to do this. Yeah, we need I'm to so do this glad. show. I'm, and I'm so glad we took the time because there's, I'm surprised it happened this fast. It happened. Well, it was like a year. This is you. Let's be honest about this. this it's is true. My bum ass being like, yo, uh, I might be able to make it. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, the yo. lesson I learned was uh, when I was putting the band together, Basement Year is the band I keep referencing. I was like, all right, it, ha- it has to be perfect. It has to be the perfect people. I have to have the right equipment. I have to have a studio set up. If I build the studio, they'll come. People won't. And I, then I was like, eventually I was like, I just got to do it. Yeah. Like I can't, if can't. I keep waiting for the perfect time, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And so I just started doing it piecemeal. There was just two guitar players that we started out with. We didn't even have a drummer. And so I learned my lesson. I learned a lot of lessons from that band. But I was, like, we, I was like, we just have to do it. I was like, I can't obsess about the perfect guests and the perfect time and the perfect soundboard. Let me just buy what I think is good shit and let's just do it. I, that's uh, another lesson I think I learned when I was much younger was, especially when it came to bands. You remember I got kicked out of Audience of One? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I rolled up to practice one day and Anthony was like, nah, you're not in the band anymore. And I was Oof. like, wait a minute. <laughs> Stupid. I came up with this name. Like, I fucking named this band. What the hell are you talking about? And it, it really came down to like, he was like, nah, somebody else is going to play now. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I, at the moment, like I was, I was furious yeah. because I felt, 
And it, I, if I'm being really honest, I felt betrayed because I was like, dude, you're my friend. Like, you, this is a thing we started together. Like, this was our thing. No notice? None. None. And I think a lot of it came down to he was he was very – he knew that the trajectory of where that band was because he was – I mean, even from when I was 15 years old and I met Anthony, I was like, fuck, this kid's going to be famous. Like, you, Oh, yeah? He, oh, my God. You as know, soon there as was... I met him, I was like, this kid's – so first of all – I, I've never met somebody so unbelievably charismatic with girls. Like <laughs> I, I remember just going to places with him and being like, I need to be near him because the girls just come to him. Like they just walk <laughs> over to the him. And I'm like, what is he doing different than me? And then I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I got a mirror. Never mind. That's what he's doing different than me. He's fucking handsome as shit, this motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, but – even when we were younger, I, I remember taking that very personally and being like, I was mad as hell. Yeah. And um, and this is something I, I regret it now. I, I remember go seeing them play and going, I hope you fucking fail. Uh, I hope you fail. And here's the worst part. Yeah. They did. <laughs> they did. They really, I remember they we, saw, <laughs> we saw them with the lineup change. We had like a video of it and yeah. we were kind of like, hmm. It wasn't eh. – it was very much like uh, I think the thing was is that because your bass playing was so distinguished. Jay, so JD and I had a very good like JD and I got along so well. Yeah. Um, and JD and I, especially like one of the things that like people didn't recognize at that time, and it, and even took me a moment. Like that kid was so smart. Like, oh yeah. He was unreal in how smart he was, and on top of that, JD was like, he was first of all. I think he was either valedictorian or salutatorian. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the class president of Neshaminy High School. Wow! He, he, everything about him was just—he was just so good at everything. And the other thing was is that not only was he so good at everything, he was just unbelievably humble. So I had an instant rapport with him because he was always really nice. He had an instant rapport with everybody. That's yeah. just JD. He was just a nice guy. You could use that power for good or for evil. Like the, you could be like that and be a total dick, you, or you could 100, be hundred percent. Yeah, you could be a, a and he a, was a, not. You could be a shitty used car salesman, <laughs> or you could be. You know, JD's a veterinarian though, yeah. and has been for a long time. It is. It's really. Um, it's just telling of like that. We we had such a good rapport and we got along so well because. I understood that the bass and the drums needed to work in unison. Mm-hmm. Like we needed to be a team. Whereas like Anthony was his own thing. Sometimes he was um, incredible because he would come up with this stuff, or you know, he would this turn of phrase like that. There was one thing that he used to say all the time, and he wanted to always put it in. I don't know. He ended up fitting it in somewhere kick like crazy mm-hmm. he used to use that all the time and i'm like where the hell did that come from and he's like, oh that's in a sales and something. is that what it is yeah he he would say it constantly when we were like we we're 15 years old kick like crazy was like something that he came up with and i was like why do you say that all the time and he his real reason was it sounded good he liked the way the words work together the 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 innocence and the like the 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 way the consonants flowed together, he liked that sound. He was like, it's kick like crazy. Kick, kick, kick. He's like, I just like that repetition. And I was like... Their lyrics do have... His lyrics do really have that kind of poetic quality. Yeah. I think that's always been a, a good selling point. Well, with him, like even when we were younger, he was the first person that showed me things. Like He, he had an older brother named Michael. Um, Michael was very much a huge influence on us. 
with our sense of humor, like our sense of humor came direct. I always thought about when I made people laugh the hardest, I was just doing a really good Michael Green impersonation. <laughs> like that's all it was. Like it was never me being genuinely funny. I could do a good impression of what I think Michael would say in that situation. Try to like channel his type of, like that type of energy he has. Mm -hmm. um, but Anthony and I owe so much to that of his brother was, got us into things like um, Helmet, uh, the Sundays was huge when we were younger. And I remember we spent a week, when we were 14, 15, we spent a week down the Jersey Shore and there was a record, there was a record store. We were in Ocean City. Mm -hmm. There was a record store on the boardwalk and we bought a Sundays record. And I remember, we, so we, and I don't know why, like we were both like, it, keep in mind at this time, Grindcore, like we were into like Hell Nation, Plutocracy, like the craziest like noise, Cripple Bastard, like the most crazy noise shit you could think of. And then somehow both of us are sitting on a park bench, <laughs> looking at the ocean, listening to the Sundays. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. Like we're missing something here. Yeah. And there was that turning point of like. I uh, remember that because I. I would all, like when you get it, well, at least for me, when I got into hardcore, I was like, I only listen to hardcore. That's it. And then like get up kids four minute mile was like, I was like, all right, I can, I can put something else in the mix. And then like, I somehow got into Texas is the reason. Do you know who you are? And, that, and then the pendulum swung the other way. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I specifically remember driving to school one day and under my, like, so we had to wear a shirt and tie. And I remember under my dress shirt was like I wore a white dress shirt and a dummy like I wore a black earth crisis shirt mm -hmm. and it was the one that had the the lyrics to the discipline on the back <laughs> straight edge the discipline the key to self so like I, I, I remember walking down the hallway and Anthony walking behind me and he was just shouting the lyrics at the back of me because he could read them through my shirt and I was like stop I was like, why he's like dude he's like in my car, we're going to go listen to Jejun or like Knapsack or some shit. And he's like, and you're like rocking to earth. He's like, dude, you're just a dork, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just, it was a constant teasing, especially with even thinking back like to that era of us. It, there was always the, the running joke was just giving each other shit. Oh, like, yeah. It was never like I'm thinking back to the Survivor house. I don't think I ever left that house without having my feelings seriously hurt. Like, it I was know. always something where it was like, somebody said something and it was like, motherfucker, how? Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, Castaway just... used to call me Professor Frank because I'd always have some <laughs> explanation for something. I would be like, actually, <laughs> and I would come up with some stupid shit. You were like always prepared to, oh, to go out. Like you would come over and bring like a blanket a, and a, a pillow, pillow and food and water normal human being things oh of comfort it, yeah and we were like that's stupid dude like, I remember, we made fun of you for he it. made fun of me the one time i think it was doug who <laughs> made fun of me because I, I was like we were going out drinking so i literally brought like bottles of water and ibuprofen he was like look at this guy brought medicine <laughs> you go what do you got tums in there too in my head i'm going like yeah I do. <laughs> asshole like I'm, I'm gonna be sick in the morning because we're gonna be go drinking for five hours straight like yeah this is good i'm prepped up because i don't want to feel like crap tomorrow um, but yeah, like teasing me about it was just so much fun because it was it's that camaraderie of giving each other shit but knowing that like ultimately you have each other's back oh but yeah I always I, I just I love that time because you never knew what we were gonna like you never knew what we were getting into yeah like, it was always just 
in I, the moment craziness and sometimes it was just like oh we're just going to sit around the house there was times where we sat around the house and it, did you have gamecube what the hell did you have that had mario kart on it oh nintendo 64, yeah, 64. that's still the best mario kart by far <laughs> i need to get that again we sitting there playing that and we're like oh, we're just not going out tonight like, yeah we're just going to sit here and play Mario Kart. I still do that. On a 13-inch yeah. television. <laughs> you know, I do miss more adventure sometimes. Like, even when I moved, like, in Philly, like, with the whole party promotion thing, you never knew where you were going to end up. And I didn't know where I was half the time because I was so out of it. And <laughs> and just same thing in New York when I moved there. You know, go, I don't remember half of the venues I went to. And I was always somewhere like, oh, we're here. We're going to this bar. Oh, there's a show in this warehouse all over the place. And I, I miss it, but... Just can't do it anymore. I can't. I can't party anymore. You know, I I, I physically can't do it, or I'll drop dead. It's yeah. just. It's just done. And, you know, I'll still go to like shows, but I like to get there when it starts and leave right when it's done. I mean, I I think there's a. Do lo- you ever go to shows by yourself? No, no. I go to shows with you. Yeah. Or Gary. Because I I'll like if it's a <laughs> band it. I. It's you or Gary Shaw. That's why I'm glad when I got together with my girlfriend, like, she's like, oh, I'll go to these shows with you. I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, what? Like, I, I just, I never had anyone to go to shows with. And, you know, with post-rock, it's, it's okay because there's, like, a ton of dudes there yeah. who are, like, by themselves. Yeah. And, you know, you're just, it's just whatever. It's, it's, you can make conversation with people and, you know. It, well, I wouldn't do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> let's not, but, let's but, not go yeah. up to deep But you here. can stand there and, like, enjoy it. It's kind of like a meditative experience. But, like, yeah. going to a hardcore show by yourself, it's not fun. I think in large part, there was a huge part of, like, uh, there was a huge chunk of me that, like, whenever I went to, if I went to a show where I didn't know everybody, there was very little chance that I was going to dance. Yeah. There's no way, because in my head I'm going, I'm going to hit the wrong person. Yeah. Bump into the wrong person, step on the wrong person's sneakers, and I'm going to end up with my jaw wired shut. (laughs) Like, I just, like, because it's, I one of the pieces of like hardcore that is really fun, but it's also at the same time as like I've, as I've gotten older, I, I look back on it and go, oh wow, like that was that was really rough. It was like, um, you you just didn't realize like in the moment you're like, oh this is fun because it's exciting and it's like you know a little dangerous or whatever. Right. Um, and I have three kids now. Uh, you know, I I consistently look at that time and go, I'm really glad nothing happened. Because there were so many times where things could have gone so horribly wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a couple. I remember specifically there was one incident. Like Meadows, uh, Bobby legitimately saved me. Um, Stalag, I don't remember exactly who was playing. But I I high kicked someone real hard. Uh, I don't remember who it was. Uh-huh. I kind of do, actually, but I'm not going to say. Please don't. <laughs> um <laughs> And the next thing I knew, it, uh, there were it, there was was there several, like a crew descending on you? There were several hands. One of them was on my neck. Oh, <laughs> Meadows got right in the middle of it and was like, "No, no, no, no! He's with me. He's cool. He's cool." And I'm like, I, I distinctly remember stepping back from that, being like, "If he wasn't here, for sure, those kids were gonna, they were gonna kick the shit out of me. Like yeah. they were. This wasn't like a." Hey, you better watch yourself. No. This was like a... It was crazy. I I remember routinely seeing people just get walloped, like badly, because they didn't know the score. Like, I remember there was a Lamb of God gig at Palanca Park. Oh, my God. So there was a big metal hardcore crossover. Oh, boy. And the metal dudes just, they didn't understand Mm -hmm. how hardcore shows worked. 
So they're there trying to watch it, and meanwhile, like, there's guys kind of crowd-killing. Yeah. And, like, knocking into them, and the guys were, like, they they were, like... Justifiably upset. Yes, like, but I like, think a skirmish like, broke out because oh. they didn't understand, like, you know, not to say it's okay to crowd-kill, but sometimes you're just... It's just, it gets rough. Sometimes you just got to accept it. I think the other thing is, like, especially, you're right, with Lamb of God, that was one of the ones that it was such a heavy crossover. Yeah. When when there was metal hardcore crossover back in the day, there, there would be problems. If I saw kids coming in with, like, Soulfly or Sepultura shirts on, like, you yeah. kind of wanted to be, like, uh, I mean, I would do things, like, if I saw them standing in the middle, yeah. like, what, when the pit was starting... Be like, hey. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, I would like, try to make it look like I was dancing. I would shove those kids into the crowd to be like, get out of here. Because <laughs> people are going to start really hurting people. And yeah. like, you standing here headbanging is only making you more of a target. Yeah. Um, I think with, especially with hardcore, like, with that style of, like, like you're moshing. You just fucking go out and fucking mosh. It's, it's a great time. But if you're not of that part and like you don't know especially you don't know the etiquette uh -huh. that goes behind it um it can get real it can go really poorly very quickly yeah and you know it, i don't think it's like that so much anymore i mean i'm sure it still goes on places but like Holy i shit, have I, you seen jesus peace videos yeah but i like i saw candy at a uh, saint vitus and i saw vane at saint vitus and like those were wild shows but Pete, you know there was there was crowd killing, but not like not like what we used to see. Do you remember? <laughs> but uh, you know it it was wild, but I wasn't scared. Maybe I'm just older now. I don't know. Like you I know, I don't know. I was. What, what year did uh, Vane play? This is hardcore. Was that sixteen? Uh, seventeen maybe. I don't remember. But I just remember it was July, right? Yeah. And those kids all showed up in Vane windbreakers. Yeah. And as soon as I saw them all walking out to the dance floor at the same time, I was like. This is about to be a problem. <laughs> they, you know, they, they played recently. We weren't there, but I remember someone play, posted a video. They were just playing their opening sample, <laughs> and there was already a People giant. Just yeah. Each other. Oh God, I I gotta see them again. They, I think they have a new record coming out uh, this year. Get out, really. Fleshwater, their side project is, is going so good. It's gonna have an LP. Holy shit! And Vane is gonna have an LP. There, those guys are awesome. Dude, so. that Fleshwater, that one song is uh, has been on repeat. It's like, so I good. Consistently, just listen to it. That's one of that those songs when I hear it, I'm like, I'm mad because I'm like, I gotta be in a band again. Like that's, that's yeah. I think I, that's getting back to that. I was actually thinking about that when we, I started talking about like not being an audience of one anymore. When audience of one stopped being a band, um, there was no part of me that wanted to like actively pursue music anymore. Think, you know what? That's a good. That's a good point. You. That was something I was going to ask you. You. You never wanted to be in a band again, or like I'm sure you could have, because Audience I, of One was like big and or you know big in our area and like <laughs> well, they, they were big to our friends. Yeah. And you were you were good. I mean, like, did you ever have offers or did you ever want to do it? Like what? So I played music with Bill Sullivan for a little bit um, from Architects of a Broken Design. Yes. Uh, here's the other thing. Bill Sullivan does, like, <laughs> production for, like, fucking, like, real, like, real big, big people, name, yeah. Like, big name yeah. stuff. Um, I played with him for a little bit, but I think where I really kind of kind of deviated from all of that was I just – my taste in music kind of was always very eclectic. So, like, I kind of went from, like – 
I grew up where my mother listened to opera in the house. Um, I also really got into things like, you know, like early, like quicksand and that kind of stuff. My brother-in-law, uh, Daryl consistently was always giving me, he was big in like the, uh, New York straight edge stuff. So, uh, a lot of, stuff, you know, like judge and that kind of thing. Like he would give me all that stuff. Right. Um, but when I started kind of like deviating from that after my whole crust and grind thing, I really got into like metal, like, uh, like especially technical, like the technical. Type. You will love that shit. I, I, I never yeah. really got into it. And there was like a big metal crossover. Well, obviously in hardcore, but I remember every band we ever saw in 1999 covered rain, rain, rain and blood. blood. Yeah. Raining blood. Yeah. Like every one of them. A hundred percent. Like that's because it's just, it was, it's what made me really like that style of heavy music. It was the same reason that, gosh, do you remember, oh, his name was Keith. He was in, that. remember Pain Within? Yes. He was in Pain Within. Then he went on to. Oh, yeah, I remember him. I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember his name. But shout out to Keith. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a, a tattoo artist now. In, yeah. I think in Morrisville. Yeah. Um, he was the first person that came up to Audience of One and said, I will pay for your recording. Oh, yeah? hundred percent. He was the nicest guy. He lived right um, he, he lived right in Northeast Philly, right by Franklin Mills Mall. Yeah, I remember. Um, he, he saw us somewhere, and he said, I'm going to – I want to start a record label. Wow. And I, I want you guys to be on it. And we went to this tiny studio in Northeast Philly. Um, dude usually had done like hip hop stuff. So like we got in there and it was like, you know, like stuff on the walls, like most deaf and we're like, yeah, what is this? Like, what are we, where are we recording? And especially when we started playing, he was like, the guy was like, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> I got to set up floor mics. I don't have anything for the drums. Like he's like, I don't, I, I usually, everything's usually digital audio for that. Yeah. So, um, we were like, all right. Uh, he, but that dude was like super, super supportive. Even when we didn't really know what we were doing. We were still trying to figure out our sound and it it was just so nice that like Was there recordings before Skylight? Yeah. That's oh. what this that's what this kid paid. So the, Keith paid for it. He he put out his own money to pay for it. It never actually ended up getting pressed. He was going to do a 7-inch with it. Um we did get tapes made. Uh somebody contacted me not that long ago with a copy of that tape. Uh they have it. I've been pestered the shit out of this kid, almost to the point where like it was borderline harassment. Never got back to me. And so you then, never got the recording? Never. Wow. Um, oh, that reminds me, folks. If anyone has live footage of Audience of One, oh my god, yeah. Please get in touch with us, northeastscene at gmail dot com or the ne scene on Instagram. I had a bunch of sets oh on, my in my my lost <laughs> high eight tape collection, but they're gone. So we. We need footage of audience of one. We don't know of any that exists. I, we also want footage of this day forward if any if anyone has it. So I know for get in sure touch with us. Somebody had a camera at Doug's stock in Doug's house. Really? Yeah, somebody had a camera there. I remember that, but I, I honestly I don't. I, after that, I don't know. Well, I'm still I, I'm still floored. <laughs> you played the. You're like we were talking about intro and outro music. Yeah. When we showed up and you were like, <laughs> I want to use this. For the outro music, and it was the Audience of One EP. Yeah. I haven't heard it in so long. Like, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about this. Like, But as soon as I heard it, I can picture – like, I know how to play the bass line still. Like, I, I do remember that. But, yeah, I, I guess that's 
I, I think that's where you and I kind of went different ways with it. I, I never wanted to really play. I, I mean, I liked playing music and I enjoyed it like yeah. the pursuit by myself. But I, I think one of the things that really bothered me about being in a band was like, you had to deal with four or five other people. So, you know, whoever, however many people were in the band and then, it, you know, coordinating people's schedules and it, it was always just, kind of like it always seemed like a hassle yeah i didn't get tired of it until last year yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah that that i was over it i gave I, up last year when i was in college i actually gave it to you but i bought it in college i bought that digital four track yes and uh i remember i recorded like maybe i don't know 20 or 30 riffs by myself and i played them for people and they were like these are great this is great because uh I, I stopped playing bass like i i got rid of bass stuff and i, I yeah. just continued playing i'd always i'd always played guitar anyway um the reason i switched to bass was just out of sheer necessity so um i'd written a bunch of stuff and i was just like i don't even know what to do with it people were like oh it's great you should do something i i just never had the ambition honestly or the other part was a uh, i just i always felt like i was gonna do something and go all right let's get this together and somebody was going to bail or yeah and it to me it was too much of an investment of my time my like effort. listen to what poor pat went through in all else failed there's just the the sheer number of people coming and going and like having to turn shit down because you just can't keep people in it and it's like if they can't do it what chance do i have there's not i i i really i get upset when you know I go to watch something on TV and it's it's not like I you know the, there was one thing where like I went to go watch something and I I turned on the TV and it was off and it was like I was late by like three minutes and I was furious the next like three hours I was like if it was literally like I had planned my day around rehearsal and someone didn't show up like I'm fucking driving to your house like I'm gonna, yeah I'm confronting you I'm flipping out like yeah because as especially at this point in my life, like my time is precious. Like I, I, I want to spend time with my girls. I want to spend time with my wife. I want to make sure my family's taken care of. I want to make sure I'm doing a good job as a teacher. So when you fuck with my time, like I take it as a personal affront. Like when I came down here today, oh, yeah. like this was nothing could have been, nothing makes me feel better than when I came in this morning, I walked into a completely set up rig, a, game plan for the day questions were written out like everything was done and i think that's one of the things that you as a person you do so exceptionally well is you literally just you plan you predict what's going to happen and you have other plans in case something doesn't work out oh yeah like like this right now us talking shouldn't be happening like there's <laughs> supposed to be somebody here fucking talking to us we'll but leave it, it there though yeah but <laughs> but it's it is what it is and i think that it's just a testament like when you say like you i i, I always get like i don't know if it's just my personality or not but like when you say like i want to be in a band i always go why <laughs> like why would you want to do that you know it seems i like heartache and i don't want to anymore like i you know <laughs> my band kind of broke up and i just i just got tired of trying to wrangle everybody yeah I tried to put it back together again over the summer. It didn't, you know, it wasn't working out again. Uh, I got more into acting. I was like, I was in a play that took up a lot of time. I'm doing another one this year. You know, and we might do it still. Tommy and I might still do the Dude, basement I... year. We tried to call a surprise guest uh, to <laughs> to ask if he was going to be in it still. He didn't get back to us, but we're, we're going to get him. Yeah. 
So it, I, it might not be done. It might not be done. I don't know. We don't know. See, my thing with like, that is, is, I guess with you, I can, I know I can rely on you. I'm not going to work with people I don't know anymore. Like if oh, if, yeah. if 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 you and uh, mystery guest can't do it, I I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I just <sighs> I don't even know if we can do this and that, and I what we'll see. We'll yeah. see one thing at a time. Yeah, but I I think um, just kind of thinking in like some total of this, I think the the thematic thing that I keep seeing through all of these podcasts and what we've been continually talking about is it's the friendships that you get through these what it's the the trials and tribulations and the times that suck and the shit you have to go through the tours the schedule the fucking this person dropped out this person quit this person has issues with substances like this is like (laughs) it's what ultimately comes to light is that there's there's a few of us that legitimately we really love what we do and we love being a part of this. That's why there's so many times where I think it's, it's funny. My mom makes fun of me. Like when we talk about, like I, I, I talk about like music, like she'll be like, don't get so sappy. It's notes. It's there's, <laughs> there's, 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 you know, but it's so much more. And there's 12 of them mm-hmm. and they put them in different orders. Yeah. Big fucking deal. And it's like, <laughs> but it's so much more than that. Like yeah. I, I get, I think of, um, what is the the thing you turned me on to? Crafter. Yeah. There's a there's that one song, and it, it's just the lyrics all the way through are just about like being positive and like facing the day and like not giving up and perseverance. And it's yeah. like those types of things when you hear them, it, it's like the you get the chill like that like oh yeah. bumpy like hair on the back of your neck stands up. I live to always find that next song like Yo. track two on uh. The Fleshwater demo, the song that I yes. instantly when I get a when I get hooked into a new song and I instantly have to text it to everybody, like I know and I know like I you know when I hit when I hit the group text I know everyone's gonna say like it's not that good or you know everyone's <laughs> trying to be funny but I live to find those songs. All right, so we're winding down to the last five minutes. So I just want to remind everyone, please reach out to us, the ne scene on Instagram or northeast scene at gmail.com share your stories with us tour stories bands who you toured with bands who helped you out scenes or stories about your local scene the the legendary venue i want to know the stalag or the kill time of your neighborhood share your pictures share your 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 ticket stubs flyers flyers old flyers we want to see that stuff there's there's so many things that help kind of preserve what this was and I always think about like people have done such a nice job preserving what the culture of punk rock was in the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. And I feel we like need to do that. This is what needs to happen with hardcore. Like, yeah. This also needs to be something that this this era of music is was so invaluable and so formative to so many people. Yes. I, I feel like, you know, I you know, it, Think about when you meet somebody that was into hardcore in the late 90s or early 2000s. Instant connection. Instant. Instant. It was a constant, like, if I saw somebody with the shirt on, it was like, yes. Yes. We had that connection. Absolutely. um, There was something, there's something so endearing about it because, again, it's, it's, 
it's not for everybody. Like a lot of people hear the music and they go, it's too loud, it's too abrasive. What are they yelling about? Yeah. Like, kill your mother, kill your father. So uh, this podcast is going to be available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. I'm going to post it to my YouTube channel. We'll link it on the Instagram page. Like it, share it, give us five stars, write a review, email us, reach out, you know, share with us flyers and ticket stubs and yeah. old, old, Band videos, new band videos. I, I throw those up sometimes. And a shout out to Ivan Walsh on Instagram. He sent me a couple that I posted. And Joel Arbath on Instagram. You know, we've been connecting with people through the page. If we want to connect with more people, you know, we want to tell your stories too. And there'll be more interviews, of course. Awesome. We're going we're gonna to be doing more of these. So get in touch. So thank you for listening. And until next time on... The Northeast Scene Podcast. Wow!